that you would take God's Word in your hand and uh, turn to First John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And as you do that, make sure you grab your friendship registries and uh, you can find those at the, uh, uh, on the end of your pews. Make sure you fill that information out, pass it along to those that are sitting with you and get to know uh, those that are sitting around you and uh, say hello to them as you uh, leave and uh, enter into a time of fellowship together. So turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verse uh, 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and you know that we are in a series, as Keith has shared and prayed for, a series that we have called Living in the Light, a study in the book of 1 John. And last time that we were together, the week before last week's missions conference, we looked at the truths of verses 1 through 4. Evidence of the historic Jesus. John the Apostle is saying, I, I saw him, I touched him, I heard his message. Uh, I've been a part of his life and that which I have seen was from the Father. And uh, this week we go and we continue to address this foundation that John has laid before us. You see, what John does in both the uh, Gospel of John and in 1 John is teaches us what it means to be God-centered. He says, before we get into any of the circumstances of life, before we get into any of the uh, other things we need to talk about, let's get a solid foundation on Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he models that for us because in verse 5, we're going to encounter a verse that I will tell you I will never be able to do justice with. Anytime we study God, it is impossible for us to uh, go as deep as we would want because our finite minds will not allow us to go there. But today we're going to look at a verse that tells us something about our God, something that we must understand and focus in on the implications that this phrase gives. So without further ado, let us stand as we look to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you uh, what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Father God, we once again come before you, declaring our dependence and our need for you. Lord, it's not hard for us to see the world of darkness that we live in. From the devastation of natural disasters to the crimes that are committed on a, on a daily, even an hourly basis, uh, to the own deceitfulness of our own hearts. We live in a world of darkness. But Father, I'm so glad that You are light. I'm so glad that You are light. And even though the Scripture says we love the darkness more than we love the light, that You allowed Your light to pierce our hearts, to penetrate our minds and, and our very beings so that our eyes may be open and the blindness that we once were in bondage to, that we may be able to experience 
you who is light. It is within this light that we find joy. It is within this light that we find fellowship. It is within this light that we find salvation. So Father, I pray as we look to you, an inapproachable light, that you would allow us to see what you would have for us. That you would allow us to know you and to take that knowledge of who you are and allow it to permeate into the practical elements of our life so that we can walk in the light as you are in the light. That is our desire. That is our goal this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John starts out the second paragraph of his letter by saying, this is the message that we've heard and we declare to you. What he's about to announce to us in John 1, 5 is pretty much what you could call the whole kit and caboodle of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the revelation of our God in heaven. What he's announcing to us is saying, hey, I've got a message for you. It is a message of utter importance, and it is that which this message is all about that I'm going to declare for five chapters how you should live in light of what I'm going to share with you in verse 5. i got to tell you, when I outlined uh, this uh, a couple months ago, I had this a part of a larger segment of Scripture uh, but as uh, this, the group uh, preaching team got together on Tuesday, we began to explore and look. And, and as we studied what many of the scholars said, it seemed to us that what John was wanting to do was for us to pause. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. This isn't something we just move by, but it's something that should arrest our hearts and put us right in our place and say, what does that mean? God is light. In Him there is no darkness. John doesn't want us to move too quickly from this. John does that a lot. In John chapter 4, he says that God is spirit. In 1 John 4, he will say God is love. If we think that we can understand these things, we are terribly mistaken. Because we must resonate on these thoughts. These simple statements that seem to just take a little part of the page are huge in their implications of what they mean for you and I. He says this was the purpose. Notice what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. The message that Jesus Christ had is that God is light. Jesus Christ came into this world to reveal to the world that the triune God is light. It's light. What does that mean, it's light? What does that mean? Well, uh, one commentator said that John is expecting us uh, not to move so quickly from this, but to ask the question, how does this affect eternity and how does this affect us in the today? But notice what John does. Before he ever talks about how we should put together the practical implications of this phrase, he wants us to resonate on the idea of who God is. Now, i got to be honest with you. When we put together messages like this, there's a fear of mine that this will be boring to some. 
that, you know, to talk about God. I'll never understand God fully, so what does it matter? Just tell me what I am supposed to do. Give me a couple action points that say, do this and do that. Let me tell you something. If that's all we do, without telling you who God is, those action points are just great little anecdotes from your preacher. We have to understand who God is, and we then need to be uh, uh, exhorted uh, to live out in response to who God is, how our daily life will then look and be lived out. We have to understand. John says, I want to focus in on God. Now notice a couple of things that he says. He lived in a time where people pursued enlightenment. Remember the Gnostics who said uh, they were pursuing this higher knowledge. I I wonder, and one scholar said this, uh, maybe they talked about this place of enlightenment being a light. We talk about that sometimes, that in essence the light bulb came on when a great idea has come. The idea of light and knowledge seemed to go hand in hand in our culture. Maybe that's what was going on in John's day. He lived in a time where men would say, I could live however I want. And John describes this as total darkness and still have fellowship with God. And so what John is saying is, and we're going to learn this next week, we can't live in darkness and say we have fellowship with the light. Well, the reason why those people thought they could live in sin and still have fellowship with God is they did not understand. They did not fathom that God is light. So darkness was darkness, and they didn't even know it. It was light to them. It worked for them. We never know how dark a room is if you really think about it until light shines in, until light pierces that darkness. The Scripture makes it clear that while we lived in darkness, we didn't even know we lived in that darkness until the light of men came into the world. He lived during a time when men said that they could do as they want because they did not know the light. Well, how would he combat this? John says, God is light. Now notice uh, John doesn't say that light is God. There's an important thing there because we don't look at some bright being uh, and say that is our God. God is light. Light is not God. We need to be very careful. Many of our predecessors, especially from this continent, uh, would worship the sun God, would worship the moon God because they thought uh, the opposite of what is being articulated. That light is God. John is not saying that. John is reminding us that every light that we have ever experienced, no matter how bright it is, stands dim in comparison to God who is light. That which blinds our eyes is nothing, please hear me, is nothing in comparison to God who is light. So what do we do with all this? Well, we live at a time... And we can appreciate this phrase. It seems in our world today that people tell us that they can live how they want and they themselves are enlightened. That they can live in sin and yet they have found something that uh, Christianity has missed. And, and John stands in opposition to them and says, God is light. Oh, how we can appreciate this phrase. Now in the 21st century, more than ever, we have explored the understanding of light. We use light in everyday activities of our life and we don't even think about it. 
We've analyzed the mystery of light because of technology. We've been able to break it down and to see its parts. We've been able to channel its power and use it for various purposes. Because of science, we've been able to time light and measure its speed. And we recognize light to be the fastest thing that this world knows. We've measured it. We've seen it. And we've been able to say there's nothing greater in it. We have managed to take light and be able to allow it to study the Bible through things like x-rays. Something called light is able to pierce through our skin and be able to show on a screen our bones. That which is not seen from the human eye is able to be seen because of light. Not too many years ago, probably five or six years ago in fact, uh, a light beam took what I had as uh, pretty bad eyesight. And because of that light, in a matter of 15 seconds, I went from having to wear glasses to never having to wear them again because of light. Light is powerful. Light can change the very essence of what we know into something else. And because we've been able to study this, we have seen the power and prestige and authority that light has. And because of that, we're able to use light uh, to be able to expand our world like never before. And yet after all that study, my friends, after being able to conquer and understand what light is, uh, anybody will tell you in the scientific world, we don't understand light. That it's still something that is unbridled, still something that has an infinity of, of, of things yet to explore. And how true is that of God? God has revealed himself. He has contained his revelation in God's word. He has embodied his revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. We can know the light, but do we really know him except for that which he has revealed to us? We can understand the light, but only that which we have been told. So what can we learn from this phrase, God is light, in him there is no darkness We understand that this is an attribute. And this attribute involves, first of all, and it speaks about the person of God. The person of God. He says God is light. And if it is God, we must explore what does this mean. This is hard for us to fathom. This is hard for us to understand the true complexity of it all. But notice for a moment in 1 Timothy, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse uh, 15, at the end of verse 15 and verse 16. Notice what Paul tells us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. It says, Which God will bring about in His own time. God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in in unapproachable light, with whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. God resides in, in an inapproachable, an unapproachable light. The Bible says that no one can see God. If we were to see God, we would surely die. 
this phrase unapproachable means a blinding light, a light that keeps us at our distance. If God wanted us to know everything about who he is, then he would say, you come to me, I am in approachable light. But that's not what he says. He says, I have distanced myself because you, I will never reveal my total being to you. And you would say, why? Because if we understood all that which is God, you know what would happen to us? We would become God. If God was able to box himself in and say, here are the contents of who I am, and you could split that all together and say, okay, I got it figured out, God. I know who you are. Then God ceases to be God, and now I become like him because I know all things. And not only do I know all things, but I know him, the one who created me. And I know all about him. God reserves the right to say, you will not know all of who I am. But that which I declare to you is what is of greatest importance for you to know. Now notice what he declares about this uh, unapproachable light. We need to understand back in First John that when he says that God is light, it speaks to us about some of his attributes. The first one is, is his perfection. It speaks about his perfection. It, just like light, God is brilliant. God is beautiful. God, in fact, at times, God's character can be like that of light because it's blinding to the lives of individuals. We see that in the great conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. He sees the risen Savior in all his glory, and it is brighter than the noonday sun. To that point, because of that laser beam in Saul's life, Saul is blinded because he has seen the glory of Jesus Christ. Just like light, within the character of God, there is no inconsistency or weakness. While our world is completely inconsistent, while our world is full of darkness, God is light. Not a 40-watt light bulb that, that Thomas Edison has put together and been able to channel, but God is an unapproachable light. He is uncompromised. He is unblemished. He is perfect. Next, it declares his purity. John says that this light has no darkness. No darkness at all. He speaks that God is holy light. Not holy, H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy light. God is not 99.999% light. He is 100% light. Even the most brightest of all objects that we have in our world, the sun, has dark spots on it. The sun itself, as bright and as wonderful as it is, still has spots of darkness. But God does not. God is light. Lest there be any misunderstanding, John emphatically relates this point. And he says, after he has articulated God is light, he comes back and he speaks to the negative of it. And he says, in him there is no darkness. Don't be mistaken. There's no darkness in God. He is all light. He is perfect. He is pure. And God is that pure light. That, not, that, that light that is uh, diluted with nothing, mixed with no evil, hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. 
God is pure. Now this idea of God being light, John is articulating, is not some theoretical assertion about the nature of God. It is a bona fide statement that drives us to the heart of who God is. God is light. We have to understand that. We have to recognize that. Because if we don't, we will begin to make God something He is not. And usually it leads to some level of impurity. John's statement rings with implications this morning. You say, well, what? What is it? It is that if we do not understand that God is light, we will never understand who we are. Because we are full of darkness. Just as God is light and perfect in that light and perfect, perfectly pure in that light, we stand as imperfect and impure individuals. The next thing we're reminded of is of God's power. I did a little study this week and the brightest light claimed in the world, I never would have thought this, is found in Las Vegas, Nevada. How many knew that? Anybody know that? Sinners. Do you know where it's at? Wow. What do we got for her, Bob? Bing, bing, bing. Say it again, and I'll give you all the credit. Where is it at? The Luxor Hotel. She's absolutely right. Did anybody else know that? No. See, you got to hang out with Ann. She's a smart person. Okay? The Luxor is a pyramid-shaped casino and hotel. And at the pinnacle of that pyramid, a beam of light shines so bright, it is boasted as the, uh, the greatest light that man has ever created. It is measured at 42 billion in candle power. It is so bright that the breadth of that, uh, of that light can be seen as far away on a clear day as Los Angeles. When the International Space Station flies over in darkness, the Lexor Hotel's beam of light can be seen. That's a bright light. 42 billion candle power. But it's nothing in comparison to the greatest God-created light. We know, of course, that to be the sun. The sun has the greatest level of light that we know of. And because of that incredible power, it stands in total domination to the Luxor's little peewee candlestick. Because in the brightness of the sun, as far away as we are as human beings on this little planet called Earth, if we, and uh, I know you've done this because we all do what our mom and dads tell us not to do, don't look at the sun, and we look at the sun and we turn away because it, it hurts our eyes. It's so bright we can't even look at it from the millions of miles away that we are from it. And yet, what do we know from science? From science, we are told because of the brilliance of that light, of that ball that is so far away in our galaxy... That if we were to hold our eyes open, it will take less than 60 seconds to cause permanent blindness because of the brilliance of the sun. So if you can handle the pain, what will happen is, is as you look at that sun, the sun's rays, its radiance, within about 30 seconds will begin to start burning lesions upon your eye. And it will start to cause blindness. What does the Luxor Hotel have against that so it can be seen from the space station which is just flying some miles above us 
let alone hundreds of thousands of miles away where the sun is at. And yet all of that proves to be small in comparison to God. God is light. Now since God is infinite and since he possesses uh, all power, we know that he possesses all infinite power. He does not allow his creation to have some of his power because in that way it would diminish his own, but he expends no energy, no energy whatsoever to be God and to control all that the worlds have, all the galaxies. Just like the immense power of the sun, God is infinitely more powerful than that ball that is hung in his atmosphere and in his galaxy, the one of millions that scientists tell us that he has created. He's all-powerful. He's all-pure. He's perfect. God is light reminds us that this God that we have is not some chump of a friend that we have sitting somewhere who has some levels of, of greatness beyond our own, but that God who has engaged us in a relationship is nothing like we've ever seen before. So what does this mean? God's perfection and purity and power. God is light enables him to do a couple things. First of all, enables him to penetrate the darkness. One of the greatest aspects of light's power is the ability to penetrate. You would see that in any dark room as you turn on a a little uh, light. I'm amazed at uh, what a little light bulb in my son's room does for them. A world of darkness, they are fearful. In a world of darkness, they can't sleep. But we take a little light bulb, no bigger than this, and we put it, plug it in, and, and it shines. This little light is what invigorates my boys to be able to say, okay, now we're men enough to go to bed. Now we can do it. The monsters are gone. Just a little light that pierces the darkness. This light is amazing. This light penetrates. We see that in the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Keep your finger in 1 John. In the first page of the Bible, we see this truth. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the darkness and where it began. In the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Now notice what he says. What's the characteristic? Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And He separated the light from the darkness. Now, a lot of people say, Well, what did God do there? He, well, he created the sun. That's what he did. But notice down in verse, uh, verse 14, verse 15 and 16. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser night to govern the night. He also made the stars and God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night. To separate light from darkness. And God said it was good. The light that God declares in verse 3 is not the sun. But it is his light. And it is on that first day of creation. Amidst total darkness. That God steps into this place that we call our galaxy of creation. 
And he said with his spoken word, let there be light. And the world was viewed in a totally different light as a result of it. It pierces and penetrates the darkness. It's an amazing thought. God penetrates the darkness within creation, but he does something. And this is why we're here. We're here because God doesn't just penetrate the darkness of creation, but he penetrates the darkness of you and I. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. You see, John the Apostle has a real love about Jesus being the light. He articulates this idea of God being light more than any other biblical author. And this is what he articulates in John 1, 1. And I'm going to read through verse, uh, verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John, speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, which is Jesus, so that through him all men might believe. John the Baptist himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Notice what verse 9 says. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. God used light to penetrate the darkness of creation and God uses that same light to penetrate the hearts of sinners. He penetrates the darkness. Quoting the psalm, one of our favorite songs around here, the songwriter puts it, He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide. The penetration of light into darkness is what shows us the strength of Almighty God. Notice the next thing about this light that God does. It allows Him to produce life. It allows Him to produce life. We know from our high school science classes that light is the source of much of the energy that is needed for our vegetation and plant life. Without photosynthesis, we would have nothing uh, that we need when it comes to vegetation today. And just like the light that the sun gives us, it is the light of God that produces life within us. We cannot have life if we don't have God. We cannot be out of darkness without God's light producing life in us. It enables us to live the Christian life. It is the most dramatic quality about life. Because light imparts life. It activates life. It quickens life. I love what Phillips Brooks says, who lived about 150 years ago. He speaks of this when it comes to the small little light we call the sun. When the sun rose this morning, it found the world in darkness, heavy and asleep its powers all wrapped up in slumber, with life that was hardly better or more alive than death. The sun found this great sleeping world and woke it. It awakened every slow and slumbering part. It called to the dull streams and said, Be quick, to the dull birds and called them to sing. To the dull and sleeping fields, he calls them to grow. To the dull and sleeping men, he calls them to think and talk and work. 
It flashes electric invitations to the whole mass of the sleeping world and summons us to action. It did not make the world. It did not start another set of processes unlike those that have been sluggishly moving in the darkness. But it pours strength into the essential processes which belong to the very nature of the earth. For the sun, when it came up this morning, glorified, intensified, and fulfilled the earth and everything in it. This is what happened this morning when the sun came up. You know, this is what God does. God is light. He intensifies, fulfills, and glorifies our humanity. He does not destroy it, but He takes that which is infinitely powerful and just like that light being did to my eyes, He pours that light into us and it becomes the light of men. It becomes the ability for us no longer to be in darkness, but to be in light. It allows us no longer to be blind, but now to see. It allows us no longer to be hostile towards God, but because of His light, it allows us to be friends and heirs and adopted sons and daughters of God. And yet many today have lost that vision. Many of you today have become dead and dull and meaningless, filled with increasing despair. Why? Because you have forgotten that God is light and that God reveals through His light how we should live and how we should walk. So that's the person of God. Number two, we see God being light through His revelation, through the revelation of God. What do I mean by that? How are we to understand who God is? We have to look and see what He has revealed to us. This is seen in the revelation of Jesus Christ, who said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Well, how do we know about Jesus? How can we know Him? How can we know this light? It is through Scripture. These attributes don't just fit the person of God, but they also fit the idea of Scripture, the focus of Scripture. Without Scripture, we would not know who God is. Without Scripture, we would not understand that God is light. In fact, in John's day, to speak of light would mean to speak of total truthfulness and honesty. And that's what we have in the Scriptures. We can never see the light or live in the light without being shown it. There are many passages that speak of Scripture being light. Psalm 119, I'll turn there for us. Psalm 119 reminds us of the light of Scripture. In Psalm 119, uh, verses 105 and verse 130, we are declared these truths. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. In verse 130, it tells us, the unfolding of your words gives light It gives understanding to the simple. God's Word is light to us. It reveals to us who God is so that we know how to live and how to worship and adore Him. It is this idea of light that God allows us, first of all, to be exposed to sin. It exposes our sin. The revelation of God, as we look to the Scripture, exposes the world to sin because it is light. It is light. You see, the best way to illustrate who we are in our humanity is uh, best seen when I, I traveled to um, 
with my kids, we will every probably once every year go to the Lincoln Park Zoo. And one of the coolest exhibits in the Lincoln Park Zoo, my favorite, my wife's not very much, are the cockroaches. Have you ever seen the cockroaches at Lincoln Park Zoo? It's in a dark cave. And they just are in there. You can barely see them because the light is so dark and it's, it's kind of a red tinge and, and it's so dark. And then you read the sign that says, if we had any more light in there, you wouldn't see them because they would be running for their lives because they hate the darkness. Or I'm sorry, they hate the light and want to live in darkness. We're a bunch of cockroaches. Works for your self-esteem, doesn't it? Real pick-me-up this morning. And here the Word of God comes, and here the person of Jesus Christ comes, and we've lived in our darkness, and the light starts to shine. And what do we do? We run for the any hole in the ground that we can find because we don't want our sin to be exposed to us. So what does the book of James say? Write this passage down, James 1, 22 through 25. It speaks of the scriptures, the, the Word of God being a mirror. Now, I am sure that every one of us looked in a mirror this morning. Why would we look into the mirror before we came? Because we get up and we know that because of slumber and sleep, uh, things happen. Those hidden fairies come out and mess up our hair or... Because we haven't gotten enough sleep, our eyes seem a little more sunken in. And, and then there's the whole breath thing that you got going on. And so we go and we look into the mirror and, and we examine who we are. And the great thing about the mirror is it doesn't lie. It doesn't tell us something that isn't true. And so we look intently into the mirror and we see, well, there's an imperfection there. There's an imperfection there. I need to cover this up. I need to scrub that off. That's what God's Word does. It's a mirror to our lives and it exposes our sin. It exposes it for what it is. It says, Tim, there's things that need to be fixed. Tim, you can no longer live that way, but I want you to understand something of greatest importance. You will never be exposed to your sin without the light of God permeating in your life. It has to be there. And that's why Second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 4 says that uh, the unspiritual man is blinded to the things of God because the light of God has not permeated his heart, has not pierced his heart and exposed him of his sin. He looks at his sin and says, who cares? Isn't that how everybody lives? Isn't that what everybody is supposed to do? But the word of God exposes us. It shows us our imperfections. The book of Hebrews reminds us of this incredible truth. In Hebrews chapter 4, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 12, this is what the text says to us. What does the Word of God do? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And yet the Scripture says we hate the light and live in the darkness. But He penetrates it. But notice what else he does. He doesn't just expose sin. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just expose your sin 
and just say, here's the spotlight. You've been in darkness, living like uh, H-E double hockey sticks and, and, and just doing what you want. And God throws the light on you and you're caught red-handed. There's, there's nothing you can do and you're exposed. But that's not what God does. Yes, he exposes our sin, but then he enlightens our hearts. And that's what scripture does. It exposes us to our sin, but then it enlightens our heart. In the same passage of scripture that speaks about God's word being a light, Psalm 119 articulates these things as well. In Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, this is what the word of God says. Psalm 119, 9 through 16, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your ways. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. And then he goes on in verse 97. And he says this, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than that of honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. So what does God's word do? And what does the example of Jesus Christ do for us? It reveals to us not only our sin, but then it says, stop walking and stop living in sin and stop now start living in the light. You want to turn away from sin? Then study the scriptures. You want to learn how to live? Then study God's word. You want to live in wisdom? Then go to the Bible. If you want to be able to know the will of God, it's contained in the 66 books of God's revelation to us. You want to know how to endure desperate times and difficult moments in life? You turn to the scriptures. You want to know how to defend against the uh, devil's attacks and lies? It is found in scripture. Paul reminds the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, these words. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to walk the life of faith and the life in the light that we're going to be talking about for the next couple months, it begins by being exposed to our sin and allowing the Word of God to enlighten our hearts because it is there that we see God being light and our import- the importance of us living in that. The greatest thing that Scripture does is found in that Second Timothy passage. It makes us wise for salvation. And that's my third point this morning, is that it leads us to our need of the salvation for our souls. Without light, 
without God displaying his light to us, we would never know that we are in the bondage of sin. But what is this light? When John says that God is light, we need to understand that what he's articulating is that light is a place. Write that down. Light is a place. Now you say, whoa, wait a minute, Tim. Are you telling me that there is a destination called the light as there is heaven or hell? I would say not a place that you can put on a map, but a place of, of being, a place of existence. We are either in the light or in the darkness. And God says he is light. And we are told that throughout scripture, in fact, in 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, we are told that we are to sing of the praises, the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and brought us into his wonderful light. He's saying, no longer live where you're living in in the darkness of the world around you, but now because of God and because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life, live in the light. Now notice what else it says about this place. In John, or if, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, when we become saved, when we uh, become uh, one with Jesus Christ, it tells us that we become children of the light. This place is in total opposition to the darkness. In fact, uh, this place is called the kingdom in Colossians chapter uh, 1. In the opening phrases of Paul's words to the church at Colossae, he says this. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, the believer, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is a place, not a destination uh, where we arrive that our GPS tells us, but it is a place of being. We're either in the darkness or we're in the light. But notice it involves a partnership. Going back to our text in John 1, we see that this partnership that he talks about in verse 3, what we proclaim to you we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. How do we have fellowship with God? It isn't God who dims himself and enters into humanity and sits there and says, you know what, you guys can't endure the light, so I'll come and I'll, I'll brighten up your darkness a little bit. No, he says, you want to have fellowship with me? Then you must be saved and you must live in the light. And because you live in the light, as you live in the light, you will have partnership. You will have fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word there. You'll have koinonia with my Father in heaven and Jesus Christ. There'll be fellowship. But notice that fellowship isn't just vertical as we talked about last time we were together, but that it's horizontal. The reason why we have fellowship with one another isn't because of any superficial thing, because we all like the same political party or because we root for the same baseball teams or, or because we eat the same kind of food. The reason why we have fellowship together is because we are children of the light. And the great invitation, and this goes against everything that the Gnostics of John's day would say, was that the invitation is made to all. Stop living in darkness and become a child who lives in the light. It's a partnership. 
That's why it's so important that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are not to be yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because Paul says, how can light have fellowship with darkness? And so I tell all of us, be careful who we yoke ourselves with. Whether it's a relationship of love and affection uh, through um, uh, an ongoing relationship with an unbeliever, whether it's an, a yoking of, of a business, be very careful because the Bible says, how can you even be on the same field together? You are light. They are darkness. And we have to understand that the dichotomy there, it's not that it says you're brighter than they are or they're a little dimmer than you are. It contrasts it. God is light. In him there is no darkness. If you are going to live in the light, there can be no darkness within you. You say, that's a huge standard. Well, that's the standard that God gives. Finally, it's a place that gives great pleasure. Again, going back to verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. How do we find joy in this world? We don't find it in pursuing the pleasures of this world. That's what the darkness tells us. The darkness of sin tells us, just find yourself, admire yourself in that just gunk, in that garbage of this world, and gratify the flesh, and take care of the needs that you have, and there you'll find pleasure. John says, you want to find pleasure? You want to find joy? You want to find contentment? That contentment and that pleasure is found in God, who is light. Now you say, how do you know that? Because the devil sees what God has done. And what does the devil say? What does the scripture say the devil does? To get us to fall to temptation, he masquerades himself as an angel of? You think he's figured something out? You think he's sitting there watching God's game plan and saying, hey, if they see the light, they'll attract to it like a bunch of moths. Did you know that at the Luxor Hotel, that beam of light, a man-made light, attracts moths from miles upon miles away? So bad are the moths that it looks like it's snowing in the desert. And just like that, the devil says, if they see the light, if they're able to acknowledge and, and understand the light, they'll never want to live in darkness. And so what I do is I take the temptation of sin and I start to make it look like it's light. And we fall for it all the time. You want to find pleasure in this world? You live in the light as God is light. Well, what do we do with all this? Say, Tim, you didn't have many stories. Tim, you didn't tell many jokes. Tim, what do I do with this? What does this help us with on Monday? Let me give you a couple things with the four minutes I have left. What does this truth do for us? Points for us to ponder. Number one, God is light protects us from doctrinal error. When we understand the holiness and perfection of God, we will come to understand the very nature of God. And in understanding the nature of God, we will understand anyone who teaches that which is contrary to the nature of God. We'll see those who tell us that God will overlook sin if we believe that, we don't understand the holiness of God. How can God even look upon sin if he is light and in him there is no darkness? When we understand that God is light, we understand that there is no darkness that can be a part of his being. And so how can we say that God doesn't care if I uh, explore the internet and look at all the garbage that's on there? You know, God, God understands. No, he doesn't. He's light. 
In him there's no darkness. Well, God understands when I tell a white lie. He understands what it means when, when you've got a lie or, or you lose a promotion or you lie so your parents don't give it. No, he doesn't. He's perfect. In him there is no darkness. The problem with our world today is what we've done is we've taken that first part of the phrase out. We say, God is kind of like a light. And in him, uh, there is some darkness. And the amount of darkness depends on how much we want to prescribe to God and blame God for our sin. God is light. Those who tell us it doesn't matter whether we believe, as long as we're sincere, have lost the understanding that God is light and in him there is no darkness. We can't just be sincere, but we must trust in the light. We must bow the knee to the light. And that light is Jesus Christ. And we must give ourselves wholly to that light. Because if we don't, then we still live in darkness. Those who tell us that we can become a God have no concept of what holiness requires. There are doctrines, there are teachings in our world today that say, as you continue to move on in your life, you will become so enlightened you'll become a God. That's Gnosticism at its core. Just continue to be enlightened and you'll become like God. If you think that you can become like God, then you don't understand the phrase, God is light. In him there is no darkness. How can darkness, please hear me, how can darkness evolve into some level of light? It can't. Light must penetrate it and break through it. We can't evolve into that. So it corrects us and teaches us from doctrinal error. It gives us the right perspective. When we understand this concept of the holiness of God, we'll come to understand ourselves. Folks, we are sinful people. We live in darkness. We will understand that there's no such thing as little sin. We won't understand that that sin is a huge deal, is an infinite deal with God. In fact, it's a deal breaker between the fellowship of God and us and it disqualifies us from the presence of Almighty God. Why? Because God is absolutely holy. How can a loving God send people to hell? I'll give you the reason why. Because He is light and in Him there is no darkness. We can't say, well, God just loves everybody and he's going to overlook their darkness. No, he's not. Because as much as he loves is the same amount in in the uh, coexistence of his nature, his holiness. And so his love must be true to his holiness and his holiness must be true to his love, but they cannot contradict one another. And because we are in darkness because of our sin, God will send people to hell. This perspective helps us understand salvation. When we understand salvation, there's nothing you and I can do to enlighten our darkened hearts. We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything that will make us any brighter because we are in darkness. We can't buy off God by the things that we try to do because in doing so, all we do is heap upon ourselves more sins because we think that we can do something to attract God to our pitiful lives of darkness. And because of that, because of this phrase, we recognize we need help. We recognize that without grace, without God's unmerited favor in our lives, we would continue to live in darkness. And finally, it calls us to one priority. What is that priority? If you get anything understood today, it's this. God is light. And if you call yourself a child of God, If you call yourself a Christian, then there's one priority that we have. Live 
in the light. Don't pursue the darkness. Don't fall prey to the things that the darkness advertises as fun. But live in the light. That's the priority. He's going to go on and he's going to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. You want to be pure? Live in the light. You want to find joy? Live in the light. You want to find contentment and holiness and, and all the promises that God's word says? Then live in the light. We won't understand 1 John if we don't understand John 1, 5. God is light. So let me close with this. Are you today living in the light? Are you? Jesus came into this world. He is the light of the world. Have you met him? Have you been introduced to him? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, as the light that takes away your darkness, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without coming and talking with me or one of the pastors or even the person sitting next to you and say, I'm in darkness, I need the light. Because without the light, we will never, ever see God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being light. Father, we're so grateful for the light that you have shed into our lives. Because of that light, we who were blind now see. We who were dead now are alive. We who are in darkness are now children of the light. Father, I pray that that perspective would allow us not to boast, but to live lives of gratitude that because you brought us out of your darkness and, and brought us into your wonderful light, that we would live in that way. That, Lord, just as you said, that we are lights. And that we should not cover that light up, but allow that light to shine among men. Just as you came in to reveal to us who your father was, we too are to be lights that we can reveal to the world who you are. But Lord, I pray for, the, for all of us, including myself, because I allow that light of yours to be dimmed by sin. And I confess to you that I am far more dim then I am bright. That I allow the sins of, of my appetites and the sins of, of, of my personal desires to get into the way of me being the light that we are to be. So I confess that to you and I pray that the people in this room will confess that. And that now knowing that you are light and understanding what that means, that we will leave this place brighter than ever before. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of the mercy that allows us to be children of the light based on the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. This is why the Spirit resides in us, and we thank you for him, that he leads us and he guides us and he allows us and empowers us to live this life in the light. Thank you for the words of 1 John and what they mean to us and how they change our lives. To you be all the glory, honor, and praise. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Go and fellowship together in the name of Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.